0: Would please turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. We are going through verses twenty-two through chapter twelve, verse four. Second Corinthians eleven twenty two through twelve four. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God, beginning in verse twenty-two. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger of death. Five times I've received from the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep, and I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from the, in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the, on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have also been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Ethiarch Under Arist, the king was guarding the city of Demases in order to seize me. And I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall so to escape his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago Whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Father, help us to understand this text. Father, help us open our hearts and our souls That we may drink deep of this amazing man, a man of God, and that we may be taught and we may learn. Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to hear you, uh, not my feeble speak, but hear the words of God to the people. Help us, Lord, to be as noble as the Apostle Paul. In Christ's name, amen. Let me try to give you a great big old bow for some things, tie some things together. If you are in love, then you will have a trust in the one that you are in love with. If you are in love, and because I have that trust with the one that I am in love with, it is easy to obey. I don't have a problem with it. There's no struggle. Why? Because love is the dominating factor. All Right? Very simple, very easy. That is the Word of God. If you love the Word of God, then you trust it. And if you love the Word of God, then because you trust it, you will obey it, and it will be simple. It will bring you joy, it will bring you blessings and it will overcome you. And your love will continue to grow as the more and more you get to know. When I look at the Bible in the years that I have read, there are, there are two things that I always see in Scripture. Okay, One is doctrinal. Anytime I look at doctrinal issues, I know that I'm looking at the nature of God. Who is he? Okay. His nature and his character. That's doctrinal. The other part of the Bible is what we call narrative. All right. And basically, narrative is practical matters. How do I conduct myself? All right. Because I've looked at the doctrinal. Here's the nature and the character of God. Now the narrative side will say, all right, Here's how you conduct yourself in light of the nature and the character of God. That's what 2 Corinthians is. It's a narrative. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and not all of them are doctrinal. Uh, You go look at Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans is all doctrinal. Then chapter 12, it's all narrative. Because of what I've given you in these first 11 chapters, here's how you should conduct yourself. Even in Second Corinthians, I have 13 chapters, and it's all narrative except for a little section in chapter 5, and that's doctrinal. Okay? So when I read Second Corinthians, I look at it as practical. This is an insight into a very, 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 Godly man. How does he conduct himself in the face of opposition? Okay. If you're not being opposed, it's easy to conduct yourself. But if you are being opposed and you are having conflict, how do you conduct yourself? And the apostle Paul is showing us how. Paul was being forced to defend himself. He was the founder and the teacher of the church in Corinth. He had been there for almost two years. He had written them three letters. Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. And he had made two visits to them. He will eventually make a third visit to them. He was their pastor. He was their teacher. God had used the Apostle Paul to bring them to salvation, and he had given the church in Corinth the foundation of truth. But, when he left, the false came in. You should be warned. you should be warned because they are everywhere, and what we're dealing with in ten and eleven is spiritual warfare and And I know it's not as Hollywoodish as we would like to fight demons and whoop up on fallen angels and things like that. But this is what spiritual warfare is. It's the lie against the truth. That's the essence of it. I mean, we 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 see that you know the the, the demons and the, on the movies and all these other stuff, and that is not spiritual warfare. That's Hollywood. Spiritual warfare is truth against the lie, because the false are everywhere, and they are. Busy all the time. They are following the father of lies. And they are working against God at every avenue that they can get. And the lies are coming through false teachers. But they will say that they are true. They will tell you that they have the real truth. And they were saying that Paul was the fake. They were calling Paul a liar. And this forced Paul to do something that he hated. He despised. He detested. And this was to compare himself to them. To prove who he was. To prove he was the true messenger. To prove that he was the true servant of God. And you know what? That's what he's doing Throughout chapter 11. Why? I am going to show you truth. Compared to the lie. This is all. Please hear this. This is all part. Of what spiritual warfare is. It is the truth. Versus the lie. What. When you read through this. There's times that you sit there and say. What is the value. Of this. To me. This is 2015. I'm in Castle Rock, Colorado. I'm not in Greece. How does this work? Well, historically, it's still the same battle. It's the false and the lies that want to turn people away. They want to turn people away from Christ. They want to turn people away from God. They want to turn people away from truth. And the Apostle Paul is a teacher of truth. The Apostle Paul is a true apostle. So we need to listen. We need to hear what he says. And I got to tell you something. I cannot think of anything right now in any of your lives that is more serious than this. The lies versus the truth. Paul had brought the true word of God. Okay. What does that have to do with us? I'm in Castle Colorado. 2015 what's that got to do with me well the simplest way to answer that is that the tactics of the enemy is not any different today than it was in the time of the apostle paul i have a fear when i read through this that if something happens that i leave this place how many of you will fall into the snares Now, you can all sit there and say, well, I would never do that. And I would say, really? What do you do with the church in Corinth? They were lacking in no gift. It wasn't like they had some rank amateur preaching to them. Today, do you trust the Apostle Paul? We, do you understand that we still sit at his feet? As our teacher. Now, he's not speaking to us. It's not like I I sit in my office and I hear voices. Okay, but he has written. And in those writings is you have to ask yourself if you have a love for the word. Do you have a love that says, I trust what the Apostle Paul says? Listen, you think that that's a silly statement today, but I got news for you. I know pastors right now who do not agree with that. When he says that women should not teach over men. Well, that was his bias as a Jew, and that wasn't God breathed. Really? He explains it. Why? They are the weaker vessel. Why? Eve was deceived. So I don't want people who are prone to being deceived teaching. Right? I mean, you know, I didn't write it. You can shoot the messenger, but I'm just telling you what the message is. Do I trust his character? Do I trust his writings? Do I trust the model of Christian character that he exemplifies? You know what? There's an awful lot for each of us to learn from him. Chapters 11 and 12. He is forced to show himself as superior to the false. Okay. But now, if you look at your text... He gives a whole bunch of disclaimers. Okay. Because he wants the the reader and the Corinthians to know how foolish this was. Paul never liked to speak of himself. That's interesting in this day and age, isn't it? He never liked to boast of himself. And uh, I read one writer who said he was incarnate humility. I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's the truth is. He never wanted to compare himself with others. I remember early in my ministry I would read Spurgeon and other great preachers, McShane and just a number of, of great John Knox and, and, and you would read these guys and you would say, Well, I'm how do I be like them? Well, I'm not supposed to be like them. I'm supposed to be like me. And that's, that's fascinating. Once, once you get over that hurdle, it's, you're like, wow, oh, this is kind of cool. All right. But you have to get over it because you keep wanting to compare yourself to other people and, and, and you, you shouldn't do that. The apostle Paul never did, but the false accusers had forced him to take a stand. The enemy claimed to be the superior ones. Paul had to show truth. And he does it with an amazing insight, a man who is forced to boast, and yet he maintains his humility. That is an amazing humility. Listen, let me explain something to you about humility. It is easy to be humble when you are nobody. Did you know that? Nobody knows what your name is. Nobody knows what you do. Nobody knows anything about you. It is easy to be humble when you're a nobody. But when you are a somebody or you think you are a somebody, it is harder to be humble. Okay. Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. That's a somebody. Okay. Okay. And yet, when he made him an apostle, he told Ananias in Damascus, this man will suffer greatly for me. Now, if I was Paul, I'd have wanted that information first. Okay, because maybe we can renegotiate this thing. Alright, because if the Lord says you're gonna suffer greatly, that's like I, one time I was in the emergency room and the doctor told me he was working on my back and he says, this is really gonna hurt. And I made a note of that. If a doctor tells you that, get a second opinion. Okay, if the Lord says you're truly gonna suffer for me, wait a minute. He told Peter, Satan has asked to shake you up to see what falls off. And if I'm Peter, I'm saying, you told him no, right? No, I have prayed for you. That's it? You prayed for me. Come on, you're the creator of existence and you prayed for me? All right, so when I think about this and I think about the Apostle Paul... It is harder to be humble when you have this place, apostle to the Gentiles. And let's be realistic. By the time of the Corinthian catastrophe, he had been successful. Understand that humility is the noblest of virtues for a Christian. We learn a lot about humility to the Apostle Paul. But we also learn a lot about false teachers through the Apostle Paul. This is what our warfare is. Okay, it is a battle for lies versus truths. Verse 23 and following, we see that he was suffering. He experienced suffering for the truth. Chapter 11, 13, and 14. It's such men as are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So when he makes this statement there, I speak as if insane. He's basically saying these false apostles, it's insane to call them servants of Christ. This is God breathed text, people this passage, he shares his superiority, yet he never gives up his humility. You know what I see? I see a miracle. I don't know how you share your superiority and maintain humility. The Apostle Paul did it. Today, if one wants to show their superiority, he would pick all of the highlights of their life. All of the great things that I have done. All of my accomplishments. All of my travels. I have all of these stamps in my passport. Because I have traveled for the Lord. I have this education. I have stacks of letters of commendations. Recommendations. That's how we do it today. Tell me what you've done. And that's in the church. If people want to go, they got a there's a website out there for pastors who are looking for jobs or churches that are looking for pastors. And if you read through it, all it is is the same thing that the world says. Where was you educated? Where's they don't even ask if you're saved. I mean, I like for my pastor to be saved. I mean, I think that would be a really good thing. All right. And the other thing I'd like to ask my past: have you ever read your Bible? I mean, like the whole book. Okay, because you know, just, just interesting, I think. 23 through 27 was his suffering. 28 through 29 was his love for the people. See, the the false take advantage of people. Uh, Paul didn't take advantage. Of, he had a concern for the church. How many times has the church made you mad? How many times have people in the church made you mad? Only when I'm awake. <laughs> all right. But how many times have you watched people come in and out of churches? You know, they're all fired up for a little while and all of a sudden... Little flashy, giggly thing goes over here, and they're off and running. Okay? Uh, I'm listening to some of the pastors who get together and pray for the summer, and they're saying, you know, we're really praying for this summer. And I'm like, well, what are we praying for really hard this summer? That, you know, that the people will keep coming so we can make our budget. Really? Well, maybe the problem isn't people coming, maybe the problem is what are you giving them? Okay, And I'll be honest with you, I'm spoiled. Uh, When I came to this church, I had some amazing saints that affected my life, that their passion was the body of Christ. You know, I I think about Ruth Henry. She had bad hips, and she, she went and got hip replacement surgery so she could come back to church. Now think about that for a second. That's amazing to me. Okay, because she says, you know, I, 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 I can sit and watch, you know, some of the guys on television. And, you know, she, she was very discerning. She wasn't watching the idiots. She was watching the guys who was actually bringing the word. And she said, she says, I can feed. She said, but I want to be in the church. I remember my best man at my wedding, Ed Young, uh, before he went into his last surgery. He said the last the thing that he, I said, he said, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And it's just me, him, and his wife. And he says, I said, what do you want me to pray, Ed? And he says, I want to be able to come back to the body of Christ and serve in the capacity that I am, or let me go home. That's amazing. Because his, his wife wasn't saved. And you just sit there and go, wow. Uh, you know, Henry Piointec, I remember taking... Uh, his wife developed cancer and she couldn't come to church anymore and we would take her Lord's table every month up to her so that she'd have the Lord's table. Why? They had a passion for the church. The Apostle Paul says, I have a intense concern. I'm on fire. There's a little translation. And you know what? That is the opposite of the False. You can see that in eleven two. I have a jealousy for you. A godly jealousy. I betroth you to one husband. Chapter 12 verse 15. I'd most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more. Am I to be loved less? Chapter 13 verse 9. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak. But you are strong. We also pray for that you be made complete. Verse 10. For this reason I'm writing these things while absent so that when I'm present, I need not use severity in accordance to the authority which the Lord has given me in building you up, not tearing down. What I want you to see is that do we understand Paul had an intensity for the church And if something was going wrong in the church, it it literally, he literally says it it sets me on fire. Back to our text, verse 30, if I have to boast, I will boast in what pertains to my weakness. Okay, now I want you to think about that for a second. That's that's an amazing statement. I'm not going to get through all of this today. And you guys are like, well, duh. When you think about great preachers, great prophets, great servants. We tend to have them to have this overpowering presence. Now, I've had the ability to sit and talk with some amazing preachers. Amazing preachers. And one of the things that I have seen in in these amazing preachers. Is this astounding humility? They're not overpowering. I sat and talked, well, he's in heaven, Adrian Rogers. And Adrian Rogers always amazed me because he's shorter than me. And he's got this big booming voice. And you're like, how does that work? Okay? But yet you sit and talk to him. This guy's been on every continent in the globe and he's preached the gospel and his church was this massive thing in Memphis and very humble. Never spoke of himself. Dr. Olford was that way. Never spoke of himself. Dr. MacArthur was that way. Never spoke of himself. R.C. Sproul is that way. Never speaks of himself. Wants to know what you're doing. What. What, what text are you teaching on and what, what are you, what are you seeing in your church and what are you seeing in your communities? That's all the things that they always wanted to know about. And that's amazing to me because we have it in our mind because I've seen them, the ones who are out there tooting their horns and there's a bunch of them. And I, I, it's kind of frustrating because I, I see some of these that believe that their words are this great influential thing. Tremendous ability with words to control people, to influence people, to sway people. I was reading a, uh, an article on leadership, and I'll quote it. Great leaders are great communicators. You cannot lead unless you can control people's thinking by influence of your teaching. Unquote. Now part of that you say, well, that sounds, no, that ain't got nothing right in it. Listen, I serve up what the Lord has given me over the week or months. And whether you come and eat it is not my problem. And what you do with it is still not my problem. I cast it out there, and you do with it, and the Holy Spirit will deal with you. We call it the power by words. You look at that right now. We got we, the political season. Does it ever really stop? I was trying to, I remember when we used to get a break from this. And because, you know, I'm listening to all these people running for president. I was like, was well, that like 2016? You know, it's, it seems like it's a little longer. than Anyway, you know, we're always running for something. But anyway, you listen to it and they're all wanting them to speak. It don't matter what you say, but can you say it well? And that's what we want. You go look at the people that they classify as great presidents. And most of them were just... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say bags of hot air, but orators is better. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but it's a, can, can he speak well? You know, cause they get on George W. all the time. Well, he didn't speak well. Well, he didn't have to. He kind of had his hands full. When you are powerful and influent, influential, yeah, whatever, leader great communicator you can overpower the group really have you ever heard this phrase he swept the crowd away what the heck does that mean well he said really cool stuff he didn't mean any of it but he said a lot of it okay now i you can look at that and say that that's in politics but i'm gonna tell you that's in pulpits Pulpits have the ability to be very powerful speakers. And if you go look at the churches that have the great crowds, what do you have behind the pulpit? Great speakers. Now then, then you have the Apostle Paul. He was only beaten, battered, scarred all over his body, and he never speaks of human wisdom He never had any spectacular terms. He just spoke of Christ and Him crucified. Seems a little odd in this day and age, doesn't it? And you know what? He was mocked for it. He had nothing to be impressed. If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. He is showing us his superiority to the false teachers. My greatest thing is my great weaknesses. Doing it by talking of His suffering. Doing it by talking of His sympathy for the lost people. Doing it in a compassion for the saints. He knows their pains. He knows their hurts. They hurt Him when they are in pain. And instead of speaking of His miraculous powers he speaks of being lowered in a basket now think about this for a second I read this about I don't know how many times but every time I read it I thought this is this is peculiar all right one of the things that I do when I study scripture is that I remove all the chapters and verses all right if I've got a difficult text I'll write the letter. All right. Because there are times that you'll have a chapter that falls in the middle of a paragraph. All right. And if you're following the context, verse 33 and 12.1 are all still in the same context. You don't need a chapter break there. There's a chapter break there. I ain't going to do it. But if I was going to brag about something, the first four verses of chapter 12 is definitely something you want to get into, right? I know a guy who went to the third heaven. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Try to top that. Okay. But the apostle Paul is the opposite. Listen, he says, one of my great things was. I was Lord in a basket. Out a window. So that they wouldn't kill me. The pagans were trying to kill me. And they lowered me in a basket. Out the window. God didn't hover me out of a basket. Or just. I was here and now I'm not. He didn't say that. They put me in a basket. Now I don't know about you. You're sneaking out of town. In a basket. You know. How does that. Toot your horn. Look at me. (laughs) I'm a chicken. It doesn't work. But it gets weirder than that. See, the false will parade themselves. I'm invincible. I was listening to a guy explain to me preaching in a Muslim country with his bodyguards. They were all carrying AK-47s and grenade launchers. No one would mess with me. They said, well, you were in a Muslim country. What would you have? I said, my tennis shoes. I can run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chicken. Whoop, 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 whoop. Give me the basket. <laughs> they have power. They want to dominate. They want to control their environment. And they think they can. They want to take charge. That's a take charge kind of guy. Okay. They control people for their own goal. We had a guy that came into town here, and he had so much power he could blow on everybody's belly and stir up the Holy Spirit within you. And everybody says, "Ah, that's great. And I was like, Go, baby. <laughs> no, I didn't go, just kidding. All right. I had a friend who went, he says, you know, he was he was doing something. I was like, Yeah, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> but you know, but look how power he's got. He, yeah you know if you can blow on that many people's bellies and not hyperventilate, I'm thinking you got some power. listen today, as in the time of the apostle Paul, people will surrender to mindlessness. I had a guy one time he was an airline captain, okay now think about that you can't be an idiot and fly an airline, okay a jet I mean go um can you? I don't know. It's got too many bells and whistles for me. I look at all that, and he came in and told me that God was going to heal me of my diabetes, and he prayed over me in some kind of gibberish. And uh, he says, "Now I just have to have faith to believe that God has healed me." And uh, sorry, guys, me of little faith. Uh, um, and he died the next day. There's there's something there, and I'm just not sure what it means. But uh, okay. But I thought, you believe this stuff and you're an airline pilot. How, really? That's, at what point? Do, it's just sort of, well, I don't make sense to me. But if I look at it, we do that. Today we send, send, um, surrender to mindlessness. You know, it's, uh, it's funny because I listen to people and they want to talk about billions and billions and billions of years ago. Well, let me take you back to 1970. Okay? You know what 1970 was? The very first Earth Day. Did you know what was going to happen? And we started Earth Day? Anybody know? The Ice Age was coming. And they said, now, consensus of science, okay, that by the year 2000, 2000, there would no longer be any more oil left on the planet Earth. That's what they said. They gave us catalytic converters and unleaded gas. Because we're going to save the world. Because the Ice Age is coming. They said that by the year 1995, the only people on the planet that would not be starving to death would be those in Europe and North America. Everybody else is going to be starving to death. And science, they backed it up. This is true. This is true. It's coming. 1970. But I want to look at a billion years ago. Why don't you look at 1970? Because your experts are kind of wrong. All right? I remember Earth Day. I celebrated. It was great. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, we got out of school. anything can get me out of school, I'm I'm in. Alright? But if you go look at the predictions that science was making at that time, and I sit there and I say, who bought this? Well, everybody did. We celebrated Earth Day just this week. And everybody's buying it now, except it's not the Ice Age. It's... Warming, all right? And the oceans are going to flood Florida tomorrow. And we're all sitting there going, wow, this is terrible. We need to do something. Quit using plastic, okay? No, I'm going to put another catalytic converter on my car. I'll have two, all right? And we'll all breathe clean air. They said that by the year 2010, in 1970, 2010, that the atmosphere would be so clouded over with pollution that would cause the ice age and we wouldn't even be able to see the sun. Hmm. Now remember. It was a consensus of scientists. And you don't think that we can't be swayed spiritually? Really? That's silly. Paul doesn't boast of his personal power. He doesn't even boast of his spiritual power. Yet, if you think about it, second only to the person of Jesus Christ, who has had a greater impact on the planet Earth Paul. Verse 31, he says, the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. That's kind of just kind of that's comical to me. He says, I'm about to say something and I want you to know how honest I am. Okay, now, listen, why doesn't he say this just before verse two of chapter twelve? Because I'm going to say something that's going to be so amazing to you that I'm going to tell you that God will testify to its truthfulness. I'm going to tell you something so amazing that you will struggle to believe it. It's going to be so hard for you to believe this next statement that I must affirm to God that I am not lying. And you know what the statement is? In Damascus, the Etherarch of Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And he let me down in a basket through a window in a wall so I could escape his hands. That's so hard to believe that you have to call. On God to validate it. I was Lord in a basket? Now listen, you go into verse or chapter twelve, verse two, yeah, I know a man who went to the third heaven. Okay, I'm gonna to struggle to believe that. But luring you in a basket? I'm going to call on God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the worshiper of the true God, so that you'll know that I'm not lying. That I was lowered in a basket out a window in Damascus. Fascinating. That phrase, I want you to remember that phrase right there. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Remember that phrase. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that. Mormons don't believe that. Jews do not believe that. Muslims do not believe that. Okay, But I want you to think about something. He uses that phrase a lot. John chapter 4, John chapter 20, Romans 15 verse 6, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and 17, Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse three, Second 2 John verse 3. Okay, That is a standard way to define God. In the Old Testament, what did they say? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Why? That's who he was revealed to. In the New Testament, who is it? It is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one with the incarnate Christ. He is one, the same essence. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay. if I have to boast, verse 30 says, if I have to boast, I have this disclaimer. I want to tell you that I'm going to boast in my weakness. Paul had no problem talking of his weakness. You have to understand that. Listen to people's conversations. All right. How many people talk about their weakness? All right. It's just a simple, simple question. But yet, I, the Apostle Paul, speaking of his weakness, I'll just give you these verses. I won't go through all of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 and 13. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. 5, verse 1. 6, verse 4. In chapter 7, he talks about a door was opened for the gospel in Troas, and he was so depressed that he couldn't go through it. Chapter 10, verse 17. Chapter 12, 7 through 10. And chapter 13, verse 4. I'm seeing a pattern. Why? It's his weakness. If I'm going to boast, I must go back to my weaknesses. The point is, listen. A true servant is weak so that what you see coming out of the man has no other explanation than it's God. Okay? A true servant of God is going to be so weak that whatever you see coming, then you know that it's of God. There's no human ability. There's no human explanation. He is calling on God, who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever and ever, worthy of eternal glory and blessing. I'm calling on to Him to affirm that I'm not lying when I tell you that I'm weak. So listen, that's the opposite of the false. And that's the day and age you're in. I'm not lying. I believe that the false repeatedly accused him of lying. Because he continually, over and over again, says, I'm not lying. The Lord knows that I'm not lying. And listen, that is an amazing contrast if you think about it. I look around today, I see the same. I see the boasting versus the weakness. I see the power versus meekness. I see bragging versus humility. And they are a contrast of the false to a true servant. And it's alive and well in Castle Rock, Colorado right now in 2015. Paul is showing us here that contrast. And he gives us this fascinating account that I'll get into next week. Being lowered in a basket. I'm telling you the truth. The father of the Lord Jesus Christ knows that I'm not lying. Here's the miracle. They put me in a basket and lowered me out of a window in Damascus. Seems odd to me. Perhaps it's just me. I would have done it with verse 2 of chapter 12. I went to the third heaven, dude. <laughs> you know, I didn't even go in a basket. Alright? And yet that's what he's saying is that let me show you my submission to what the Lord is doing even if he has to lure me in a basket out a window. We'll get that next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that you've drawn us together today to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray for everybody. I pray that they will fall more and more in love with your word. And Father, they would trust more and more in your word. And that Father, they would be more and more obedient to your word. Help us, Lord, walk in this day and age. May we stand In the grace that is in Christ Jesus, may we walk worthy of our calling. And may we run a race without being entangled in the things of the world. To your glory and praise. Amen.